We're continuing a series in Nehemiah. By the way, his Hebrew name is Nehemiah. God has comforted. Isn't that a wonderful name? Um, especially after we see a uh, YouTube clip like this. Um, it's hugely important to remember that the Lord does, in fact, comfort us as we go through all kinds of things. And uh, that not only will the Canadian Prime Minister do whatever is necessary to defend Israel, but the Lord Almighty will do what is necessary to defend Israel. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, bless your name. And we thank you, Lord, that at this season of uh, extreme cold, you can light a warm fire, a hot fire in our soul, Lord. And we pray for that. We pray, Lord God, that our hearts will be warmed and challenged and uh, stirred by your Ruach, Lord God, as we look into your word. And we ask, Lord God, that you will give us ears that are receptive to hear your word and to embrace it and to live by it. We pray, Lord God, that your word will become part of our DNA. We ask all of that, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I don't know um, what this does for you, but I, as I've been studying this, I am absolutely, positively amazed at the picture that I'm seeing. When was the last time that you saw a group of people, and by the way, this is not intended to point bony fingers at any one of us, because I'm well aware that when you point fingers, there are several fingers pointing back at you. But when was the last time you heard people standing uh, for five or six hours to hear the Word of God? Now, this, of course, is the Old Testament, which is not uh, under grace but under law, as I'm often told. Um, and as I'm often told, the Spirit of God uh, was sort of dormant until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Yet what I'm seeing here, folks is clearly a revival. It doesn't use the word revival, but that certainly is what we see here. And then not only do we have uh, the entire community standing, men, women, and children, by the way, standing to hear the Word of God for six hours, but then shortly after that, we see the leadership both the secular, the, the rulers, and the Levites and priests coming for a refresher course, kind of intense seminar for seven days. Um, in both cases, what the language is very clear. What we see is that people gather around 
Ezra, it's sort of like coming around him and saying, okay, you have no choice. You can't run anywhere. You are going to tell us about the Word of God. Uh, at least that's the picture I get, and I don't believe I'm using needless amount of uh, sanctified imagination here. And then we see that Ezra, in fact, is doing that. Now, part of the also what grabbed me as I was studying this is the fact that Ezra had been around for a while, at least 15 years. And his goal and his vision was to study the Word of God, to put it into practice, and to teach it. Where are the people during those 15 years? Do you, do you wonder? Um, well, one thing that came out in my conversation with our beloved associate, Rabbi David, is that the Spirit of God is explicitly mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. In chapter 9, Nehemiah speaks about the fact that he says, your good spirit caused us to understand your truth, your word. So somewhere in this process, and, and by the way, here at the end of the section uh, in chapter 8, we see that it is the, uh, the leadership who are in this intensive seminar. And then in chapter 9, we see that the folks gather again. So somewhere in the process, you have to say, God is moving. I mean, that's as plain as the nose in my face. Thank you for no comments on that one. Um, but do you wonder why there is such an intense hunger for the Word of God? What brings that about? You know, sometimes it is suffering. You go through difficult periods of time, times of confusion perhaps, where you say, Lord, uh, what's going on here? You seem to be blessing him and him and him and her and her. So what am I, chopped liver? Jewish expression. What am I, uh, not worth a whole lot? How come you're not doing that to me? What's intriguing to me this week is that I've had a couple of people express this longing slash passion to hear from God. One of those was my grandson. And uh, another one was a fellow that I mentored from the seminary. Both of them expressed the same desire to hear from God. With a frustration almost that says, how come God doesn't speak to me? Well, in the case of both of them, I was able to say, he's committed to doing that. He's committed to doing that infinitely more than you are. And if you proceed in his path, he will do that. In the case of the fellow that I mentor, it clicked. In the case of my grandson, it's going to take um, a few more decades, I'm afraid. But David said, or the psalmist rather said, I have suffered much, make me come alive, O Lord, according to your word. Chayeni, from Chaim, not uh, life. Um, 
I've suffered much. Therefore, cause me to come alive by your word. And you say, does a person always need to hit bottom before they become teachable and eager to hear the word of God? I, I believe, yes, sometimes because what needs to happen is God needs to take a tenderizer and pound on you, tenderize your heart so that you're willing to listen and hear the word of God and receive it. Unfortunately, I've been around enough to know that even when that happens, people still have hardness of heart. And somehow, what has to happen is God has to be in the mix. God has to drive it. Now here, the people are definitely suffering. There's persecution because they're surrounded by their enemies. Samaria to the north and Ammon to the west and the Arabs to the south. Been around since then. And uh, Ashdod, um, probably descendants of the Philistines to the west. So they, they have enemies. And there's poverty, a great deal of grinding poverty. Some people are, are forced to sell their kids into slavery. And so somehow God takes the mix and uses that to draw people to himself and, and somehow give them a hunger for his word, a hunger for his voice, and they somehow reciprocate. And how that happens is a mystery. It's not either or, it's both and. There has to be a desire in the part of the people, and here there is. There seems to be a grassroots movement, an insatiable grassroots movement, to hear and receive the word of God, to hear the, the Torah. You know, and people point out to the fact that this is um, part of what the Torah itself taught, that the people would need to gather ever so often for a renewing of the covenant. But clearly what you have here is that and much more. Um, Part of what, again, coming back to the reality of the presence and the power of God here, is that often when we have heard about revivals, we think of the spectacular kinds of stuff. You know, uh, people shaking and, and falling and people being healed instantly and people being, uh, uh, in the case of someone like uh, Finney, from the 19th century that when his train passed, uh, drunks would fall to their knees in taverns and profess the name of Yeshua. Those things are amazing and spectacular. But it's my conviction that somehow part of the process, if God is truly at work, in a dramatic way, part of the process will be a hunger for the Word of God. Does that not stand for reason? If people are truly revived by the power of God, part of their desire will be to hear from God. To know His Word, to inculcate it, to, to apply it. And yes, you can say, um, well, we're not like these leaders. You know, we, I, I, you know, I have to work, etc., etc. I have responsibilities. I can't go off 
take intensive times to sit and, and listen and receive, but part of the truth, folks, is that all of us have times in our schedule where we can do that. And also, I believe that for all of us, there are seasons when we know we need to see God big time, particularly when we need direction, and we know we, know we grasp the fact that somehow I need to take time off. Vacation time, whatever. I need to go spend time where I'm holed up and, and diving into the Word of God because I want to hear from Him. I need to receive direction because I'm at a crucial point. And I believe that's part of what you see here. Now, obviously, part of what's happening is that people are not only interested in hearing the Word of God for its own sake, which, by the way, is part of rabbinic Judaism's emphasis of studying the Torah for its own sake, Torah lishma. But in Scripture, you don't find that. What we see in the Word of God over and over and over again is that if we are truly listening to the Word of God, then part and parcel of that will have to be our taking what we hear and applying it. Remember that the Hebrew word for hearing or listening, Shema, always has the clear grasp that it is listening with intent to obey. James puts it in a nutshell. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, try not to do that too often, and after a while looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The people here are committed to hearing the word of God and applying it. Look at verse 13, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families along with the priests and Levites gathered around Ezra described to give attention to the words of the Torah. And last Shabbat we saw that one of the words that was used in the earlier portion in 8, 1 through 12 was a word for understanding, lehavin, to grasp, to, to process, to engage. This is a different word which has the sense of coming and wanting to have wisdom and discernment, not just for its own sake, but wisdom and discernment for the sake of being fully equipped to carry out God's assignment. Hebrew word for that, sechel, is one of the wisdom words, S-E-H, E-L, sechel, which has the sense of prudence or wisdom. Bottom line is doing the work of God as God assigns it to each one of us. And part of the process that really jumped out at me is in verse 14, as I see 
that they are th these leaders are listening and, and hearing processing, they find written in Torah that God commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths. Now, think about the background for a minute. The people were living back in the land for about 80 years. The temple was established. Ezra was there uh, with a teaching ministry. And people did at one time celebrate Sukkot, the festival of booths. By the way, it's really booths, it's not tabernacles. Tabernacles is a tent. Booths are uh, freestanding um, structures, shelters, etc. So people celebrated the festival of booths, Sukkot, already. Why is this such a big deal here? And of course, you can imagine where there's any ambiguity in Scripture, that's where people rush in to give all kinds of opinions. You know, where the Word of God is clear and emphatic, people just kind of uh, brush by it. Where there's ambiguity, that's, where, that's when they write books <laughs> and give uh, uh, teachings on YouTube and, and so on and so forth to give everybody benefit of their great wisdom. Uh, here, y you have to say, God knows ultimately the, uh, the full picture. We have some guesses. Um, one thing is very clear from, from this is that there is a good degree of biblical illiteracy among the people. What do I mean by that? The temple is standing, Ezra is teaching the word of God, but the impression you get is that it's not fully penetrating. It's not fully penetrating. Sukkot, by the way, was the th one of the three major pilgrim festivals. Big time. Um, and people who had some idea of the Torah should have known something about this, especially as it was celebrated 80 years or so before. Why is it that this is kind of a new revelation? You know, for me, it's somewhat like folks coming and saying, you know, God really spoke to me big time that I needed to go through immersion. And I've been a believer 20 years, and now I really understand it. And my tendency is to say to them, okay, better now than, than never, but the good book says you accept your show and you get dunked. End of story. Don't need a PhD in biblical studies for that. <laughs> and and it, it speaks of a basic lack of two things. Basic lack of understanding what the Word of God is. And secondly, a basic lack of desire to really follow what the Word of God is really saying. This is a, really a no-brainer. So the fact that they find in the Torah that it talks about the festival of booths, you say, okay, good deal. Now let's get on with the rest of it. Um, you know, we had a young fellow here from Chosen People Ministries who made a really profound statement. See, God can talk through young people. And he said, look, 
we as the believing community, evangelical communities, obsessed with all kinds of stuff um, about the perversion of the culture and and um, uh, the evils, the defilement that comes from the media, and and on and on and on and on. He said the real issue is not what's coming from outside. The real issue is in here. The lack of God's people to pray, the prayerlessness, and biblical illiteracy. You know, we're so consumed with what's out there, we forget some real basic kind of stuff. And so here, it's hugely important that the leaders get an extra measure of it so they can then go and impart the message to everybody. At this point, you get, you get the sense that the people had gathered together for Rosh Hashanah, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, in the first section, chapter 8, verses 1 to 12, and everybody scatters, goes to, to their town. You have some people who stay in Jerusalem, um, and so the leaders, the Levites and priests and the rulers then go and follow them into different towns and villages and proclaiming what they have been taught. Part of the picture here, folks, is that we often have the idea that the Word of God has to be communicated through the professionals. I hate that. Because, A, it puts all the burden on me. Well, some of it needs to be on me, but folks, the burden is really on you because all of us are to be communicators of the Word of God. Our job, who are in leadership, is not to do all the work of the ministry, but equip you all to serve along together with us. In fact, you see, for example that one of the congregations, one of the leading congregations that was formed and established, the congregation in Antioch, was begun by lay people who were scattered because of persecution and went and traveled and talked everywhere, proclaimed the good news of Yeshua. So here it's the responsibility of the leaders to pass on their word and... Um, kind of get the sense that part of the picture is going to the town square and broadcasting loudly, you know. You all hear now. Here's the, the Torah that uh, we want you to, to hear. And uh, we as a congregation have done some of that when we went, for example, to um, 16th Street Mall and uh, worshipped and danced and song and gave some literature. But the truth is, we don't do that every single day. We don't get up in the morning and say, oh, okay, today I'm going to go to 16th Street Mall or Aurora Mall and, and we're going to dance and we're going to give out um, good information about uh, literature. So how do we proclaim the Word of God? How do we get the Word of God out? And you can say, well, pff, that's not me. I'm busy with survival. I have things to do 
need to get up in the morning, I need to go to work, need to go to school. Um, that's who I am. My response to that is a Jewish one, of course. Yes and no. Yes, this is who you are, but there's much more to you. There's much more to you. You and I are communicators of the Word of God. We're vessels of the Word of God. The Word of God travels through each one of us into different corners that it wouldn't otherwise go. And so if you're saying, I'm too busy, uh, life, uh, survival, financially, etc., etc., uh, the world is, is coming around me and, and I feel like I am um, uh, surrounded by alligators who are looking to take bites out of me. That doesn't say much for the sovereignty and the power of God. Yes, sometimes it does feel like there are alligators out there. But folks, I'm here to tell you that God is bigger than alligators. And we only get that as we hear and read and process the Word of God and it's become part of us, part of our operating system. And then, if it really becomes part of us, it doesn't stay here. Because to stay here means that we're like a stagnant pond. And you've seen what the stagnant pond looks like. I can get real crass here and tell you it begins to... Uh, uh, um, n not be very odorous <laughs> and disgusting. Living water, by the way, is defined by water that comes in and comes out. It flows. And if the Word of God is in us, becomes part of us, it is alive. Which means that somehow it will, it will overflow and percolate to other people around us. Now, we often think that in order for that to happen, we have to go and strategize and figure out, okay, here's my fellow worker. Uh, I need to get the Word of God out to him or her, and let's see, I'm coming up with a, uh, four spiritual laws and, and a tight presentation of how to get the Word of God point by point. Is that what God wants for you to do? I don't believe so, folks, because it puts the 800-pound gorilla on you. And the burden needs to be not on you, but on God. So a basic part of being a communicator of the Word of God is living it out. The way you do your business, the way you carry out your relationships means that God is integrally connected and part of who you are. And that you have made a determination, a decision not to shut God out of any one area in your life, but you are willing to give God an absolute reign over every single area of your life. Amen. Every single area of your life, even the areas that you know have cobwebs and skeletons and demons. Those are the areas you especially need to give God control. So the Lord has to be part, the Word of God has to be part of us in, in how we live.
because the Lord is part of us. The Lord is over us. And what we do is we do as unto Him. Do you know that God is your boss? And, and folks, I've been there. In fact, it's intriguing that my last boss is the one who is wanting to connect with me and wanted to hear about Yeshua Tzion. And yes, actions speak louder than words. However, God gave us a mouth. And as we are steeped, as the Word of God is part of who we are, somehow God will see to it that it will make its way out to others. And somehow, maybe the Lord is able to provide opportunities for you to speak a word in season, to speak a word that ministers comfort to those who are struggling. And, and what I found is intriguing is that sometimes people look at you and they may consider you to be sort of a uh, boring, but when they go through difficult times, who do they come to talk to? The Word of God somehow will come out, especially as we have the passion, folks, to see that the Word of God needs to come out so that we, we don't just do one of these passive-aggressive things. Okay, God, if you really force me and put a gun to me, then yes, I will open my mouth and say something. But rather, if we understand the picture and if we recognize the fact that God has called us to be a lighthouse, to be light and darkness, then part of our desire will be simply to say, Lord, I'm receptive, I'm willing, here I am. I'm not much, I don't feel like a great communicator, but here I am. I want to be receptive, I want to be equipped, I want to be prepared. And then you let God do the rest because He is a creative God. Do you believe that? We tend to put the Lord in, in little boxes and then say, okay, God, how are you going to work your way out of this box? The truth is He was never in the box to begin with. Part of what appeared to me or, or I was thinking about communicating the Word of God was something I'd never really given much thought to, and that is the social media. How much time, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, how much time do we spend on the Internet and social media? I bet quite a bit. And what I've seen is one of a couple of different things. Either the cosmic sounding board um, of I'm angry and I want you and everybody else to know why I'm angry. And then interacting with people who violently disagree with us and going back and forth 
etc. The other one, of course, that I see a lot of is fear-mongering. You know, martial law is coming to the U.S. and, uh, and we're going to be persecuted. And, uh, and let me tell you all about that. can be a huge distraction, folks, unless we stop and say, okay, God, is it possible that maybe you want to be the Lord and the master of how I use the social media? Is it possible that instead of me sitting down and sending something uh, profound and uh, angry and silly, etc., that we stop and say, okay, Lord, I want to say this now. I'll stop. I'll back up, and then I'll wait and let you talk to me. So that maybe what I say will be something productive and edifying and something like the Word of God, whether we quote from Scripture or not, we can quote the basic principles of the Word of God. I saw a couple of examples of that earlier this week. And in what I consider to be a very balanced way of a couple of believers um, observing the passing of Nelson Mandela, who was a profound changer of history, someone who did tremendous amount of good for his country. You know, when, when he came into power, he could have been vindictive, but instead, South Africa had the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. And uh, I, I understand the problems, but the, the two people that I saw pointed out the good things and then pointed out the not so good things, but they did it in a spirit of wisdom and grace. In Mandela's case, he had unwittingly become a spokesperson for Palestinian rights and has described Yasser Arafat as a persecuted freedom fighter. Now, I don't know about you, I have pretty significant problems with that. But one of, one of the people that uh, was describing that simply said, you know, it's a reminder that the things that we don't resolve in our own lives will affect our decisions. That's a very simple statement. And I thought, you know, here is the wisdom and, and God's chesed at work in what a person is saying. You know, other times I've seen people um, quote scripture or give godly principles. My point simply is, here's one example, one area where you can welcome God to be in control and ask him to show you how to properly and wisely invest it so what comes out of it advances the cause of the kingdom of God. Instead of being part of the silliness that's out there, the silliness and the often 
vile stuff that is counterproductive. So back to Nehemiah. Here you have people who hear the word of God, hear the word of God. The leaders go out and proclaim it and tell everybody to celebrate Sukkot or prepare for it. And if you read the account here between verses 15, which is where the instruction comes, and verse 16 where you have the action, there is no time lapse. People hear the word of God. They don't sit back and say, oh, let me think about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll consider it. Maybe in a year or two I'll do that. Have you ever done that? Heard from God and then said, Lord, uh, I know you're the master of the universe, but I'm not ready to, uh, to obey you just yet. I've actually had people say that, and I've actually, yes, I've said it myself. What you see here is people eager to hear the word of God and people eager then to obey. Verse 16, the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs. And if you know the, the Hebrew here, you see that you have three action verbs gi given in a row, tat-tat-tat-tat-tat, meaning they don't just sit and cogitate and consider it, but they go out, they bring, and they build. Decisive action in response to, to the Word of God. The other thing that jumped out at me is the emphasis on booths. And by the way, the festival of booths, Sukkot, has other things in it, such as um, using the lulav and etrog, which we do every year, right? Yes? And uh, what we don't do, of course, is offer a slew of sacrifices, which they did. But the building of booth, it's such a major aspect of this, and it's here described four times in three verses. Build the booths. They built the booths. They built the booths. They dwelt in the booths. Okay, we get it. Why such a big emphasis on, on the booths here, Sukkot? First of all, because that's what the Torah said. In fact, Nehemiah seems to be quoting directly from Leviticus 23. But there's another reason. If you remember, what was the purpose for dwelling in booths? It was a reminder to the people that just like they had lived in temporary dwelling for 40 years, it was a difficult time during the desert that somehow God saw fit. Somehow, God managed to see to it that the people were not starving, that they're not dying of, of thirst and dehydration. But somehow, God saw to it that their needs were met at these very difficult, harsh, harsh circumstances. And that in His good time, he brought them out of the desert into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. So part of the booth's celebration is saying, you have kept us alive and brought us to this season. It's a very basic principle, folks. 
that A, we remember that in the desert, God does good things. God does good things in the desert. Can you say amen to that? God does good things in the desert, among which is that he's able to get through and communicate to us in ways that he can't at other times. Think about it. You know, when we're in a city, we have noise bombarding us from every single possible direction. I was coming up today, and I was behind this gentleman who was driving a massive pickup truck, and he had the Bronco flags, and the Bronco flags were going like this, and I'm driving behind him going Meshuggah and saying, would you tamp down this noise? Anyways, that's what we see and what we hear all the time. But when God brings us into the desert, it's quiet. It's quiet. Don't have noise. We don't have flashing lights. And we are forced to listen and God is able to talk to us. And somehow, he's able to bring us out in his time at which point we say, okay, we're going to build a booth and we're going to celebrate how God was with us and God brought us out, how he sustained us. This is part of what we see in the Torah. It's part of what God wants us to, to be able to do is when we, have, we come into a larger space, which I believe, by the way, is happening to us, I don't believe that, that God wants us to be in a desert situation in tabernacles forever. I truly believe that part of his plan is to bring us into a wider space. By the way, we want to talk about that next Shabbat at the town hall meeting. want to encourage you to come and, and hear and interact with what is God doing here in our midst? Be able to hear and receive and process that and see how you fit in what God is doing. And as God expands our borders, then we have to stop and say thank you, Lord, and celebrate. And celebrate. Because that's the other big challenge. Yes, we struggle in the desert, but we also struggle in good times. Why? Think about it. When things go well, do we really naturally have a reason for God? When we're in the desert, we scream and cry out to God, Lord, have mercy, get me out of here. When things are going well, we can say, I got things under control. And that's what the Torah said over and over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 8 in particular, do not forget the Lord your God so that when you come and you build houses and things go well with you, you'll say, I'm the one who did it. Forgetting that it is the Lord who equips you to be productive and to make wealth. This is Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18. And the celebration, the party is a simple expression of saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father, the Father of light, in whom there's no changing. And we celebrate 
because we see that God brings us from a narrow place into a wider place where there are greater opportunities to engage in doing his assignment, doing what he wants. But it first of all is based on our grabbing the word of God in, 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 and digesting it and making it part of us and then having a deep conviction that we want to not only listen, but to obey. And then we want to have holy chutzpah and say, okay, God, what you're doing in me, I desire to see expanded much more beyond me. I believe that's part of the fuller picture. And I want to pray today that we will be given that holy chutzpah, the courage, the eyes of faith to see that, to see all that God wants to do. Let's stand, please, and prepare to conclude the service in the time of worship. I'd just like to ask that as we worship the Lord that you do simple record-keeping and rewinding of the tapes with the Lord and simply say, Lord, where am I today? Where am I today? Do I have a hunger to know you? Do I have a hunger to know your word? Do I have a hunger to take the word and live it? Um, or am I pretty indifferent because I have my own agenda, my own strategy, my own thoughts? Where are you with the Lord today? And just to have that conversation as, as we're worshiping in the conclusion of the service, make some basic decisions on where you want to be heading together with the Lord. And with the rest of us. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for the amazing patience that you have with our foolishness, with our stupidity, Lord. And our indifference and our forgetfulness and all kinds of things. Thank you, Lord, that you keep coming back again and again by your Ruach to challenge us to stir us. And Lord God, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we will be indeed stirred by your Spirit. That we would refuse to accept the status quo. That we would refuse to accept things going day to day without any change, without any progress, without any advancement with you and your business. We pray, Lord God, for zeal for you to permeate us, a desire to know you, to hear your word, to apply your word, and to see your kingdom expand. And we pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would commit and follow, Lord, your plans and purposes for us individually and that together, Lord, we would build 
and pursue the establishment of your kingdom. We ask this in the name of Yeshua.